All right. Exodus chapter 3. Turn in your Bibles there to Exodus chapter 3. This morning we consider perhaps the most significant moment in the life of Moses. A moment that would change his life forever. Exodus chapter 3. Father, I pray that you would bless this time in in your word. We recognize that a significant moment is always possible when your people gather together and when we open your word, when we have hearts ready to receive, ears to hear. And I pray, Lord, that you'd meet us here this morning. Encourage your people, strengthen your people, motivate your people. How grateful we are this morning for the sacrifice that you made for us. How great is your love. Commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is our third study on the life of Moses, and we've covered a lot of time in his life. In our first study, we looked at Moses age zero to one. We looked at the circumstances of his birth. In our second study, we looked at Moses at the age of 40. He's living in the palace of Egypt. He has the whole world at his fingertips, and he makes a crucial decision at that time, you remember, to abandon the royal courts of Egypt and to join his people, the Hebrew slaves, and the God of the Hebrew slaves. An incredible decision. However, he took matters into his own hands. He got ahead of the Lord. He was kind of arrogant. And he ends up killing an Egyptian taskmaster, gets in lots of trouble. At the age of 40, he's forced to flee Egypt some 200 miles away into the wilderness area of Midian. Well, here in chapter 3, 40 more years has passed. Now Moses is 80 years old. What's he been doing for the last 40 years? Well, verse 1 tells us in chapter 3. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So life has been happening for Moses during those 40 years. He's become a married man. His father-in-law is mentioned there in verse 1, Jethro. Moses married the daughter of Jethro, a woman by the name of Zipporah. They've had two sons together, Gershom and Eliezer. So Moses has become a family man. Lots of responsibility associated with that. He's also become a shepherd by occupation. He was tending the flock. He tends sheep for a living. And notice, after 40 years, he doesn't own his own flock. His father-in-law owns the flock. Moses works for his father 
in law. Interesting. Very humbling circumstances for Moses, don't you think? I mean, when he was in Egypt, he was being groomed for a top job in the Egyptian royal court. Some say that he might have even been in the running to become the next pharaoh. And now here he is, tending sheep for his father-in-law in the middle of the wilderness for 40 years. Hmm. But nothing wrong with that. Noble choice. Moses is busy. He's hardworking. He's responsible. It is significant in the Bible that God calls people who are busy. He called Gideon when he was threshing grain. Samuel was serving in the tabernacle. David was caring for sheep. Elisha was plowing. Four of the apostles were managing their fishing business. And Matthew was collecting taxes. God has nothing good to say in the Bible about laziness. And so it's always good to stay busy. God picks people when they're busy. And Moses was staying busy. So he's a shepherd. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's been living in the wilderness of Midian for 40 years very strategic place in the scripture, very close to a mountain called Horeb, the mountain of God. That's a mountain range. One of the summits of that mountain you might recognize, it's named Mount Sinai. Anybody ever heard of Mount Sinai? Moses spent 40 years of his life working in that area. Was Moses a religious man at this point? Was he a man of faith? Well, he married into the family of the priest of Midian. Jethro was the priest of Midian. The Midianites were related to the Israelites. Most Bible scholars believe that at least in Jethro's household, they were aware aware of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Israel. Moses grew up in that, or didn't grow up, lived for 40 years in that area. I personally believe that Moses was a man of faith at this point, but I think his faith was running at a cool temperature. I think it was a low burn. Forty years prior, he probably thought, man, I'm going to be the deliverer of Israel, but he makes that big mistake. At the age of 80, any thought about being a deliverer of God's people has long since been a thing in the past. Moses probably feels like God's done with me. I'm very content to just live the rest of my life as a humble shepherd working for my father-in-law. Moses wasn't looking to change at all. Now some would say those 40 years were wasted years. Moses living in obscurity. But listen, God never wastes years. God never wastes the years for his people. Those years were preparation years. Whether Moses knew it or not, he was being prepared. You know, he learned all kinds of lessons about leadership. You learn a lot about leadership being a husband and a dad. And he would utilize many of those lessons later when he becomes the father figure for an entire nation. Moses spent a lot of time with sheep in the wilderness for 
those 40 years, leading sheep around, taking care of sheep. People, as you know, are a lot like sheep. They need a shepherd. Moses would one day be the shepherd of two and a half million sheep, the Hebrew people. He was learning lessons. He grows up in the Sinai uh, wilderness area or spends 40 years there. He, he knew that whole area probably like the back of his hand. He knows where all the good camping spots are, the shade, the watering hole, all those sorts of things. And all of that he would be able to apply later when he leads two and a half million people all around that exact same area. Those years weren't wasted. God was preparing Moses in very practical ways for the very special plan that he had for him. And most importantly, Moses has become a humble man. God humbled that man greatly for 40 years. Had to make sure that Moses wasn't a self-dependent, arrogant man. So that's what's been going on with Moses for 40 years. Now here in chapter 3, it's just another day of work. It's another day in the fields with the sheep. Moses wakes up this morning to the bleeding of sheep like he did for years. He probably got dressed, got himself a cup of java, admired the sunrise, What about his business? Just another day at the office, another weekday morning commute. But you never know when God's going to show up. You never know when God is going to turn an ordinary day into this miraculous, spectacular moment. And that's what he has in store for Moses on this particular day. Verse 2 says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. This gives me goosebumps. I feel like we get to peer on this really private moment of a great man of God who has this amazing experience. There he is just minding his business. He's walking down the trail. And then off in the distance, the near distance, but the distance, a bush lights up. Like you turn on a propane grill. In my mind, this fire is a hot, brilliant, glorious, burning, supernatural flame. The text is very clear. The Lord did not light that bush on fire. I mean, the bush looks like it's burning, but it never gets burnt. It remains on fire without being reduced to smoking embers. It doesn't even get charred. It just keeps burning. The glory of God in a flame has taken up resonance. In a common bush. And it just burns. That's 
what Moses notices. You know, he spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness of Midian. They had extreme heat warnings every day. There's no doubt that Moses had probably seen bushes on fire in the desert before, maybe a strike of lightning or just it's so arid and dry. But all the bushes that he'd seen before on fire burned. This one doesn't burn. There's just this brilliant fire in it. Verse 3, very important detail. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now that's very important. Moses makes a decision here to turn aside. The idea is he's going about his business. He's got an itinerary scheduled that he needs to keep. But he sees this sign and he turns aside. He decides to investigate, to get closer. To check this out. This great sight. He could have chosen to ignore it. He could have just said, you know, I'm busy, I got to go. He said, I know that looks, that's weird, but whatever, I got stuff to do. But he didn't. He allowed his life to be interrupted. And he turned. And it's so good that he did that because verse 4 says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. From the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Notice that. The implication is if Moses hadn't turned, if he had kept going, he never would have heard from God. God gave him a sign. Moses responded. God revealed. I love that detail. Responding to that sign would open a moment that would change Moses' life forever, an encounter with the living God. So he starts to get closer and he hears his name, Moses, Moses. It says there in verse 4 that he responds, here I am in the Hebrew. It's like, yeah, it's me. This is Moses. He probably had no real idea what's going on. He just hears his name being spoken. The Lord continues, verse 5. Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Oh, how blessed he was that he turned aside to investigate. God met him. God spoke to him. God identified himself. I'm the God of your father. Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. And Moses did what you see everybody in scripture do when they realize they're in the presence of God. He hid himself. He hid his face. It's terrifying to stand in the presence of a holy God. And he is a holy God. And that place became holy ground. In fact, God said to Moses, don't come any closer. Stop. 
Take your sandals off. You are on holy ground. On that ordinary day. In that ordinary wilderness. That ordinary little dry patch of desert wasteland. Became holy. Holy ground. Holy ground, what do you think of when you think of holy ground? Do you think of entering into a church? You know, one of those traditional cathedral-like churches, you know, where you walk in and you have to whisper. And there's candles and maybe stained glass and everything echoes. Is that holy ground? Or maybe you think of the holy land. Going to Israel and standing on the Mount of Beatitudes or the Mount of Olives, walking down the Palm Sunday Road. Those are all great things. But listen, holy ground is wherever God is. And the holiest of holy ground is where God meets with you personally. When God gets your attention and you give him your attention, that becomes holy ground. It's beautiful. And Moses is on holy ground. So, ordinary day, God gives a sign. Moses responds to the sign. And then there's the encounter that will change his life. God's still doing the same thing. It's the same pattern. God wants people to encounter him. God is reaching out to people. In fact, I think God is always reaching out to people in different ways, in signs. The only problem is that a lot of people explain them away. They ignore them. They move about. I'm too busy. Oh, my friend, don't do that. God gives you a sign. Stop dead in your tracks. Turn and face him. Let him change your life. You know, sometimes these signs are real big moments in life. I had a bunch of friends when I was younger who were not serving the Lord. They could care less about the Lord. No big deal. But everything changed the day they witnessed the birth of their first child. It's like they began to feel the weight of being a dad or a mom. And it was something that God used in their life to get their attention. And they turned and they began following the Lord. It can be anything. Be a blessing that comes out of nowhere. I had another friend who was not walking with the Lord, couldn't care less about the Lord. But out of nowhere from left field, his dream job came. Dropped in his lap from nowhere in such a way that this man turned aside, looked up, and found God and had his whole life changed. God's always giving signs like that. He's a, maybe it's a near-death experience. Sadly, a lot of times it has to be a tragedy in somebody's life, a nasty divorce, loss of job, death in the family, illness. Other times it's just God moving in your life on an ordinary day, a coincidence, chance encounter, maybe another day at church, at a service, listening to 
a Christian program, reading a Christian book, reading the Bible. By the way, I'd, I dare you to read the Bible. I double-dog dare you. God will reveal himself. I was three years into college. It was Christmas break, and uh, my dear friend was visiting with me in Albuquerque. This is my friend who's now in heaven. And we just got to talking one night. We weren't really serious about the Lord at that time, and we thought about a youth pastor that we knew, and, and we'd gone to church together earlier. And we hadn't talked to this guy for years, so we said, you know what, let's look this guy up. We did, asked him for dinner. He was available two hours from then. We went out with him to the restaurant, and I'm not going to tell you everything that was said or everything that I saw, but God met me there. God met me there in a way that I'll never forget. That restaurant became holy ground to me, and it literally changed the trajectory of my whole life and the life of my friend. Just dinner. Just a conversation. Look for those things, my friend. And when those things happen in your life, stop what you're doing. Let God speak. You know, it sort of reminds me of a very powerful parable that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just. Jesus mentions this dragnet, a big fishing net, trolling net, big sweeping net, some of them a half a mile long. They would attach one end of the net to somewhere on the shore, put the other side of the net to a fishing boat. The fishing boat would take that net all the way out in a circle. They added weights to the bottom of the net. So there was like a massive vertical wall from the surface all the way to the bottom and just sweep everything into the shore. Now they collected all sorts of stuff when they did that. Good fish, bad fish. Milk cartons, trash. So they would get everything to the shore, and then there had to be a separation process to that. Jesus says that's a picture of what his kingdom's like, what life is like for us. You and I are all little fishes swimming in the sea, and we think we're, we think we're free, we think we have this big blue ocean, but we're actually enclosed within a dragnet. And whether you know it or not, we are all being drawn by this dragnet to the shores of eternity. And one day you'll reach the shore of eternity. And the way you lived, what you chose, will become important. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, things will go well. If you haven't, it will not go well for you. Now, in that parable, I imagine those fish swimming around in the dragnet. Every now and then, they bump into the dragnet. But then they go about their business. And I think there are many times in life where God allows us to bump into the dragnet of eternity. 
these key moments where God is trying to get our attention. Have you had that happen to you? Have you turned aside to the Lord to allow him to speak to you, to reveal himself to you? Moses did. It's a beautiful picture. Well, what does Moses want to do? Or what does God want to do with Moses? Look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, all those ites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress. So the, the flame of fire in the midst of the bush. Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm familiar with their suffering, with their torment, in cruel bondage in Egypt. I've heard each scream that accompanies the crack of a whip on a bareback. I've heard the grieving sobs of wives and mothers who fear for their husbands and sons. I've heard the cries of children who have lost parents. I've heard their cries. I've seen their struggles. Moses, I'm coming down to do something. Verse 80 says, I've come down. I'm going to deliver my people out of the land of bondage and slavery and I'm going to bring them into this great land this promised land a land flowing with milk and honey that's why I've come down and I'm sure Moses is like this is cool right on God go I'm all for it and then God says in verse 10 come now therefore and I will send you (laughs) to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, no, you don't get it. I'm choosing you. I'm sending you. I'm going to use you for this great task. Hmm. Verse 11, Moses said to God, and I love this, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Those 40 years of wilderness living have done the trick. The age of 40, Moses might have said, look who I am. Oh God, you're so lucky to have me. Of course I'll be your deliverer. Now at the age of 80, who am I? Who am I? Humility is so important. God will not use a man or woman until they get to this point where they can say, who am I? Listen, if, 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 if you're an arrogant man or woman, 
if there's pride in you and you think that this is, you know, you got so much to offer, God looks upon a person like that and says, I can't use that. I have to break that. But if you're a man or woman who looks up to God and says, who am I? God says, oh, I can use that. There's some material I can work with. I can use that person. Moses is now ready. He's humble. And God can use him. Who am I? Still yet, can you believe? I mean, don't you think Moses was blown away? You want me to do what? Do you have the right guy? Did you call the wrong number, God? Me? Send me to Egypt? God is encouraging Moses through this whole encounter. In verse 12, the Lord says, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses, I'm not asking you to do this by yourself. That'd be silly. No way. I'll be with you. I'm going to use you. I'm here. And I love you. He says, Moses, look at that mountain that you've been seeing for the last 40 years. One day, very soon, you're going to be back here at that very mountain with two and a half million people. Because I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to use you. God is encouraging Moses in so many different ways in this passage. The first words that God speaks to Moses are what? His name, twice. Moses. Moses. Like, I know you. I know you by name. I wonder how long it has been since Moses had heard from God. I wonder if he thought, man, I wonder if I'll ever hear from God again. Is God around? Is he near? Where is he? And here God says, Moses, Moses. Double emphasis, by the way, in the Hebrew. Moses, 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 I know you. I know you. I know everything about you. And then in verse 12, God says, I'm going to be with you. Everywhere you go. Moses, I have been with you. I never left you. Every year in your life, I've been working to lead you to this moment. You're mine. I have a plan for you. And I think God was also telling Moses that I'm going to empower you. I think this sign, the way that he appeared to Moses, was meant to be an illustration for Moses. I mean, a fire in the midst of a bush. This is a common bush that you would find out in the wilderness. Uh, You'd hardly notice it. It's nothing. This is like a tumbleweed that you might see roll across the highway. And God puts his fire in a tumbleweed, which makes a tumbleweed very powerful, miraculous. And I think God is saying to Moses, you're like that bush. You're broken. You're weak. You're fragile on your own. 
but I'm going to burn in you. I'm going to place my living flame in you. I'm going to save you, Moses, and then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use your life to save others, my people. And I think Moses got it. And he was blown away by it. This story shows us the heart of God in such a beautiful way. And it's such a great illustration of really the whole gospel message. Did you know that the human race is in bondage today? We've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We're born into a world of sin. We're born as sinners. We're born in the kingdom of darkness. There is an enemy like very powerful who seeks to destroy Satan himself. We're born into that. And God hears the groans. He hears the cries. Here's the cries of people in desperation, suffering. And God has done something about it. I love it, verse 8. It says, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand. God says, I've come down. I've come down. And he has come down. He sent his son, Jesus, down. To make it possible for our sins to be forgiven. Jesus came and died on the cross. For our sins and rose again. God wants to reveal himself. He gives signs as people respond. He saves them. You find out your need for Jesus and you receive him. He becomes your Lord and Savior. And then he desires to take you and put his fire in you. And use you in a mighty way to save other people who are in bondage. That's his heart. I'd like you to consider that. You know, this morning we're on holy ground. I believe God's here. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ here. And when we're at his table, I believe it's holy ground. And at the table, it's, it's a time for decision. It's a, maybe this would be a burning bush moment for you this morning. Maybe you're here at church today because you're sort of turning aside to God. What Something's happened in your life. Something, a tragedy, a blessing, something that's gotten your attention and your right to come to church and seek the Lord. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you, rose again. Surrender your life to him. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and your faith has been running at a low burn like Moses. Maybe it's been a long time since you've Really serve the Lord. Maybe you used to. But maybe something happened in your past. Maybe you failed. Maybe you had a bad experience at a church. Whatever. Maybe you think, you know, God's God shelved me. No, maybe, maybe this morning you just need to turn to him. Let him restore you. Let him put that fire back in you. My friend, he knows you by name. He knows you by name. He knows everything that he wants to do in and through you. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Let's take a few moments before we participate of communion. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes.
maybe we can turn down the lights. Those that are going to help me distribute, come on up. Worship team, come on up. It's a holy moment. The bread and the juice represent the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that was made for you. At the communion table, we remember. It's all about remembering. And right now, I'd like you to remember your story with Christ. Remember. Remember when Jesus met you. Remember that burning bush moment. When he finally got your attention. Maybe you haven't walked with him closely for years. Remember and return. Let that fire burn again. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, you've never opened your heart to him, do so right now. Right now. Don't wait another day. Respond now. Surrender now. And you do this in just a prayer that I'm going to lead you in right now, just in the quietness of your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I, I bow. I bend the knee. You're the Lord. You're the Savior. You died on the cross for me. Wash away all my sins. Come into my life. Let me be yours. Put your fire in me. Burn in and through me. Use my life for your glory. These moments are holy. I invite you to stay in an attitude of reverence and prayer. Thank the Lord for what he's done. Return to the Lord if you need to. Rededicate your life. We're going to hand out these elements. Please keep them. We'll all partake of them together as one church body. There are two cups stacked. The bottom has the bread. The top has the juice. Make sure you get two cups. Hold them. Think about what they represent. Worship the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Down right now as we consider the great sacrifice that was made that we could have a hope we could have a future we could have a life worth living
Thank you, Lord, that the sacrifice has been paid. And beyond that, that you're alive, you've defeated death. Here you are with us, your people, now and forevermore. Praise your name. Let's take the bread, take it out, and I will read. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take and remember what's been done. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray as we close the service that you would shine within your people. Shine in and through. Light a fire inside each one of us. Send us all over this community. Thank you for saving us and I pray that we would, Lord, share that news widespread all over of how others can be saved. Use our lives, Lord. We love you and we praise you. We leave this place with joy, with peace, with motivation. In Jesus' name, amen.